Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a already and right before the community shield kicks off we have a brand new competition for all the listeners if you win you could play in midfield for the arsenal this is the arsenal vision post-match podcast my name is elliot smith you can block me on twitter yankee gunner i don't know if you guys know, know this or not these are super witty really well thought through jokes that i open the podcast with they are not scripted uh so i just sort of launch into them and uh, i had a good idea for this one i think but as i started to say it you could hear that the words didn't want to come out right but the joke let me restate it because that is the hallmark of a great joke we don't have a very good midfield and so if you win our competition you could just go play in Arsenal's midfield because Arsenal doesn't have a very good midfield are you seeing the mechanics of the joke come together you'll be dying laughing about this later Tim's on Twitter Roberto hello Tim hello there that that was a very do you you know that are you familiar with the work of Stuart Lee yes very Stuart Lee that was very very Stuart Lee, tell the joke and then spend 15 minutes explaining it and explaining Mm. why it's good. It's no different than magic, really. It's always more fun when you explain how the trick is done. Um, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, indeed. Uh, Look, we said we were going to do video podcasts for patrons, and we are, but not today, because the scheduling for this podcast was challenged by the fact that Clive has ascended to the level now where he just tells us when he's available, then we show up, then he's not available, then he tells us another time that he'll be available. Hence my tweet that this pod will be out at 7 UK time. It is now 7.25 UK time, and we've just sat down to record it. So good times for everybody, Uh, but we love you, Clive. So... uh, On the agenda today, Emmy Martinez may be on the way out to some people's relief and some people's dismay. Um, Matteo Ganduzzi may be staying to some people's uh, relief and some people's dismay. We will talk about the Community Shield and a couple of coaches have arrived. Uh, No news yet on whether Pep Guardiola has left City to be Arteta's second. So I want to start with the Ganduzzi conversation, guys, because I think it leads to the single biggest issue I see in the squad as the new season somehow is already almost upon us, which is the midfield. So let's start with... Ganduzi, just really quickly. And Tim, the the comments that Arteta made are pretty benign, but I'll give you sort of a dealer's choice of how you want to interpret them. Do you see them as Arteta genuinely extending an olive branch for Ganduzi to come back in this season? Or do you see it as a, hey, you know what? Maybe our tactic at the end of last season kind of fucked up his transfer value, and we maybe need to rehabilitate that a little bit so someone will take him off our hands. 
I think it's probably a bit of both. I think it's more likely the latter. I don't think in like, you know, the last season only ended three weeks ago. So we're not we're not even talking about like the usual two month calling off period. This was like this was this month that he wasn't at the cup final. Um, and, and look, the fact that he wasn't at the cup final was also kind of a covid protocol. And there were only a limited amount of people allowed in the stadium. But still, that that was three weeks ago. Like that's that's not you know that that's not a long enough time for all of this to have just blown over magically so i still think arsenal's very strong preference is to sell him and that yes this is a little bit about creating some value i i would also say as much as yes um you know effectively ostracizing a player probably doesn't do wonders for their transfer value it it's kind of there's not really like a good in between there because everything you do has a bad consequence. So if they hadn't done that, uh, sorry, if Arteta hadn't done that and just kept playing him, well, then he doesn't get his, this is a new broom, nobody's taking the piss. If you keep putting him on the bench, that's very wishy-washy. Um, Arsene Wenger tried that one with Alexis Sanchez once, didn't work. Like, I, I do think... To be fair, he brought him on at halftime. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So I do think you've kind of got to go with one or the other. You've really got to like make your decision and either say, no, actually, this player is good and you know we do want to create the value or no, I, I need to make a stand here. And even if it takes, if it, even if it makes it slightly more difficult to sell him or means that we, you know, we lose a couple of million in the process, then you know, that that's still like that's still collateral damage that is worth it for the point I'm trying to make. So there is a there isn't any course of action when you have a situation like this that doesn't have a downside. Um and that's I'm sure we'll come on to that conversation later with the goalkeepers. Like sometimes there is just no way out. Um but I, I think the real tell here is that he didn't play against MK Dons and Genduzi hasn't played for just over two months. So if he was in the plant, like El Nenny played against MK Dons, like Genduzi, if he's seriously in the plans for to play this season, then he needs that game time. And he didn't get it on one of only two opportunities that we're actually going to have to give it to him before the season starts. So that to me is the tell that he's still not really in the good books, that this is a little bit of, okay, let's try and talk him up a little bit and, perhaps try and create some interest but at the same time it might be look we might be stuck with him and if we're stuck with him then you know maybe maybe we like repair that bridge a little bit so i think there's a little bit of expediency here and a little bit of kind of um burning the candle at both ends uh, Mm. if that's not mixing my metaphors too much no it's interesting the funny thing is this is the rare situation where i think the club maybe has a lot of leverage in a way. Now, the irony is we have very little leverage in the transfer market in the sense that, look, we froze this guy out. We didn't want him. We wanted him out. And we made it so clear that now if you're a buying club, you know you've got us over a barrel. We really want the guy out. And you don't have to pay a premium for him. On the flip side, if the club were to say, look, this is a 20 guy who just turned 21 years old. He's played 4,000 Premier League minutes for us. We think he's got big upside. We're just not going to sell him for 15 or 17 million. We're just not. We're not doing that. We're going to keep him. And you say, all right, well, what if the player doesn't want to play and he boycotts the whole season? At 21 years old, having already had a France call-up, can Matteo Ganduzzi afford to miss an entire season of his career? He's already just missed basically half of one. Can he go a year and a half not playing and still have any expectation to get picked by France? His next move at that point is probably back down the table 
to prove to someone he's still got it before he moves back up the table. And so while I think we've destroyed our leverage in the transfer market with how we handled the situation, and that doesn't mean we handled it wrong necessarily. It's just the reality of, you You could say two things can be true that are that are uh, uh, contrary, right? Like it can be true that Arteta did the right thing and it was borne out in the results that he got and that was the right way to handle it. But that handling it that way had a negative consequence in the transfer market. Those things can be true. But I think if we were to keep him, Matteo Ganduzzi has a big pressure to find his way back into Arteta's good books because he cannot afford at 21 to suddenly go from being a Premier League starting player in his teens to a year and a half out of football. So Clive, I'm curious if you see it that way. And is it possible, given that leverage, if Arteta thinks there's a way back in any way, and given the weakness of our midfield, that rehabilitating Ganduzzi and I realize that's a risk, but rehabilitating him, given all the pressure he will have to play so that he can get his career back on track, is better than letting him go for a cut-rate fee at a position of the pitch where we already look pretty threadbare. Yeah, I, might, I go in my gut on this one. I, I actually hope we do rehabilitate him. Mm. You know? I like the sound um, of that. Be, because listen, he can play. He hasn't really been able to play under the structures and the sort of instruction from Arteta really. He's come from playing under Emery where he's allowed to do what he liked, which basically probably lent into the per- part of his personality we didn't need to lean into, which is a cocky git one. Do you know what I mean? And that's how he plays and and he's got that edge to him and other fans probably hate him and he's got that side to him. And the way he was allowed to just do what he likes on the pitch and go where he likes without any accountability we needed it at the time. We looked at it and we liked his stardom, but actually, football-wise, it wasn't it wasn't what we really needed because he was everywhere apart from where we needed him to be. And so, but that was a, that was a case for a lot of the team at that time because they were just a basketball team, right? So now we've got a more structured team, we've got a more structured system, and we've got more structured roles. Then we can actually look at him and for, for his talent. What I find really interesting about this, and, and I, I want you guys to correct me if I'm wrong. I've not seen a single quote from him since the incident and since he's not been playing. Yeah, I haven't seen anything. I don't think there's anything that he's said, which, I mean, I guess is sort of to his credit, right? Just keeping his mouth shut and not trying to make things worse. I I think the only – he hasn't said anything. The only thing that maybe you could say was quite pointed was the the day after we won the FA Cup, he posted a picture of his holiday on Instagram. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point, Tim. Great memory. And I tell you – where would that, we be without means, where would we be without the gram for interpreting things? Yeah, By the way, those of you who wanted Tiago at Arsenal, Adam Lalana just started following him on Instagram, so that dream's dead now. Okay. <laughs> so um so that that to me, because what we do, we do this a lot. And often we're right, but we create narratives of fans. We look at the, the commentary, we look at what's happened, and we go, Well, we just go off we go off the we go off the tracks, we just make it the story up. And most of the time we're close, but there has been not really a true comment. There hasn't really been a rubbishing of any party by anybody, although we know something's out of hand and then we can drag up his history at Lorient, for example, and PSG and how he's been to other coaches. And we can create the story that makes us think, well, you know what, he's done it again. At some point, and this happens to all of us, you have to grow up. You have to grow up. Why can't he grow up at Arsenal? You know, there are people in that dressing room. I know David Luiz has tried. I know other players have tried to get him to grow up. This, I, I sort of feel, 
my gut tells me I hope he gets rehabilitated. I don't see, I know everyone's going crazy over Sabayas, but Sabayas isn't our player. He's a Real Madrid player. We're sitting at home in the real Betis top. Right? This guy is our player. And if you tell me where I'd like to see the investment go, it would be into Guendouzi. Right? Because, again, for the future, for his sell-on value. And I don't see much difference in the talent. I really don't. I really don't. I think we need a Sabayas at this time. We lack a midfield, which I'm sure we'll go on to. But I think he can offer a lot of what Sabayas can offer. The worry I have when we talk about midfield is is that we're still in a situation where we can't seem to play without Granite Shaka. And and we need to fix that. I think if we fix that, I think other people in the midfield could actually flourish. But that's maybe a slightly change of subject. Yeah, well, so a few things. I mean, look, you have to set aside what you think of Genduzi, the person... The person's too strong a word. I mean, the the, the attitude. I'm a, I'm a Ganduzi stan, and even I admit, like, it's pretty clear he screwed up bad, and I was fine with him going because you can't have a petulant 21-year-old who thinks he's bigger than the, than the coach. Um, but you look at the environment now. Players like Shaka, who whatever I think of Shaka as a player, everybody acknowledges he has great leadership qualities in the dressing room. Aubameyang, Willian, David Luiz... There, there's not just experience, but professionals who really see themselves as leaders, and there are the people who can get him back on track if they'll just pay if he'll just pay attention to them. And Tim, the reason I think this becomes such a big issue, and I know some people don't rate Ganduzi, and let's be clear, if you don't rate a player at all, I understand why you don't particularly care if he stays. But Tim, let's say we aren't able to get Ceballos back. I think that'd be a disaster. But let's just say that's the case, and that Mesedozo goes into another season if he's even at the club which I assume he will be, of not playing, or at least mostly not playing. The midfield is Shaka, Willock, Smith-Rowe, Elneny, because it looks like Torreira's off. I mean, even if he's not off, Torreira's not a guy that, that Arteta really wanted to lean on. I mean, this midfield, I, I know it sounds, I'm, I am prone to hysteria, so I'm just going to lean into it here. It's a bottom of the table, or certainly bottom half of the table midfield, with Shaka, Elneny, Willock, that, I mean, that's it. That's that's what that's what we've got. I mean, guys we've been trying to get rid of and guys who haven't really made their place yet, uh, plus Shaka, you know, whatever you think of him, it, it's not good enough. And while Ganduzi may not be your cup of tea, if you're that threadbare, even if we buy, even if we buy a party, even if we buy a, you know, a, a midfielder, you're still probably short of someone good enough to be a regular starter in the Premier League. And I think Ganduzi could be that if his head was screwed on tight, especially as he gets a little older and more experienced. So, I mean, how worried are you about midfield? And Ganduzi issue aside, you know, assuming Torreira might be off and, and the Ceballos situation not being resolved, this looks like the part of the pitch that could really derail us. I'm not saying we will derail. I'm not trying to kill our season already, but the, this is the real worry area, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. And you, look, you can see what's already happened this summer, right? Defenders in. We've got <laughs> Cedric Suarez and Pablo Mari, um, those are deals for this summer, um, believe it or not. Um, we've got Willian in. It looks like we've got a Bamiang's contract done. Don't forget Defense. Saliba, my friend. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, yeah, Saliba as well, exactly. So that's kind of defense and attack. I mean, as far as this summer is concerned, done. It's all about outgoings there. So the rest, like the next, what is it, like six weeks now, that's all about the midfield. Um, as well. It's about two things. It's about shifting you know, shifting a couple of centre-backs, maybe having a bit of a centre-back uh, garage sale 
And it's about sorting that midfield out one way or another. And you're right, even with Gendouzi, even if this whole situation with Gendouzi had never happened, we'd still need a midfielder because Gendouzi was playing regularly and we were like ninth or tenth. So, <laughs> like, it, it's not like, it, it's not like, um, you know, that massively altered our fortunes anyway. But yeah, otherwise you're looking at a choice between Gendouzi and Elneny, aren't you? Um, unless you bring someone in. Now, I think that the club, like I, I, I think that that will be the next big project for them is to bring in at least one, you know, really top quality central midfielder, whether that's party or someone else. I think they will look to, they will, they will throw the kitchen sink at it now. They will throw, well, if you qualify Gendouzi and Lacazette and players and Rob Holding as the kitchen sink, that's what they'll throw it at. They'll go to clubs with, have this player, have this player. It's, it's the great Arsenal garage sale. Come on, like, come on down, get yourself a Socrates um, or a Gendouzi. And, and you know, so I, I think it's reasonably obvious that Arsenal thought, like the, the defence bit was kind of done in January anyway and Saliba was done last summer. So that was kind of taking care of itself. They've done Willian. Looks like they've got a Bamiyang's contract done, and so now it's a kind of um, you know it's it it's a midfield thing, isn't it? And 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 maybe, um, and again, I'm sure we'll come on to the, you know the Martinez story that's broken today. They might need to find time to buy another goalkeeper um, as well, which might um, which might take a little bit of attention away from that. But I think one of the things that makes me uh, not necessarily positive about the end result, but about the process is I think it's reasonably clear. Arsenal have midfield targets. However you rate those targets, it's clear they have Thomas party in mind. Um, You know, it, it sounds like they've, they've sounded out uh, 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 Leon, uh, I'll never get tired of doing that. And we that. wish him well as he battles COVID <laughs> by the way, because he's now, well, you're, yes. Yeah, indeed. It, 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 all the noise we're hearing is that there are midfield targets in mind. And I think we can take it as read. They're trying to move Torreira on to raise some funds. I think eventually, you know, they'll, they'll kind of hopefully get Wolves to pay what they want for Maitland Niles. Like Arsenal are clearly in a, there's two things that I think are clearly happening at the moment. They're trying to revenue raise and they've got their eyes on midfielders. So, so I think it's reasonably obvious that what they've done is got, you know, they've got the defence in the midfield taken care of fairly quickly, at least for this window. I'm not saying that that's our midfield in perpetuity. Uh, sorry, our defence and attack in perpetuity. I was, was going to say, but, now, I'm, now I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but that's all we're going to do in those areas in this window, I think, um, unless maybe we sell Lacazette, which we might. But yeah, I, I, I think that it's really obvious that that's where Arsenal are looking now, and it's it's where they should be looking as well. Mm. You know, it is it is so ironic. It is such a cruel twist of fate that this elite possession-oriented technical midfielder who went on to apprentice under this all-possession tiki-taka manager winds up at a club that can't rub two technically competent midfielders together. It's just so strange. And I, I mean, I have to think that Arteta is calling up Adu 24 hours a day, waking him up. Mikael, it, it is 3.30 in the morning. Why are you calling me? Yes, yes, I know. Technical midfielder, I'm working on it. I mean, like that's, I don't know what that accent was. Just just go with it. I should have had Tim do that bit. Um, but, <laughs> you, you know, like it is, it is the situation where even if we play a back three, I mean, can you imagine a scenario where our starting midfield, start of the Premier League season, forget tomorrow's game, 
Shaka and El Nenny. Where's that taking you? Well, what, what? we, we, we <laughs> might be in a situation where like the best midfielder at the club is the manager. <laughs> still, still to the and if Bergkamp joins his, his coaching ranks, which has been rumored, <laughs> then you could argue that he'd be the best number ten at the club. So you know, I mean, you know, Mesut Ozil stands in my mentions, yada yada. But okay, so I think it is clear that midfield is a dumpster fire. It's a real, real worry. An area that is not a worry is goalkeeper. But when you have two, you don't have any, they sometimes say. Uh, in our case, when you have two, you have one too many. And so Emmy Martinez, apparently, and I think this may be briefing from the club, but Adam Crafton has come out with an athletic article basically saying that Emmy Martinez wants to go, that Arsenal want $20 million plus for him, but he's hoping that due to his, his service and his time given to the club, that the club will consider $10 million. Uh, I would certainly love it if people would just forego any of their best interests uh, because I'm a nice guy who's been around for a while, so feel free to do that where I'm concerned. Uh, but I, I'm curious, Clive... You know, Emmy wants guarantees, or at least according to the article, wants guarantees about being the number one. Even if you think Emmy is better than Leno, and I realize that player evaluation is going to vary by person, the idea that we can guarantee that he will be the number one is insane. You can't give it to him. Leno was good enough that at a minimum, he should be in the conversation to be the number one, if not the number one. So as Tim alluded to a little earlier in the pod, this strikes me as sort of the most obvious conclusion while maybe being one that isn't great and that we don't love but given that we are a club that needs money that needs to buy midfielders if he is worth 20 million and he wants a new deal and he may not be the starter the idea that we can afford to have a 20 million pound asset just sitting on our bench playing cup games it doesn't work for me so are you on board with selling emmy martinez or if you were arsenal given this is what what the rumor is would you guarantee him the, the first choice goalkeeping position and look to shift Leno? Uh, I'll go with the club on this one because you know they no, they've no doubt had words with their goalkeeping coach, and and they they know who the best player is and they'd make a decision and that's that's football. They can't make guarantees; they wouldn't do that to anybody. And a player has earned the right in, the, in his eleven or so games which he played unbelievably well. I would go back to, I remember how I felt after the Brighton game. I was devastated when Leno got injured. I just couldn't imagine anybody being as good. And you can argue he was a touch better. But it was a small sample. So the club was gone with Leno. If they've said basically it's competition and that doesn't change, we'd probably like to keep both of you, but we recognise you may want to go. Suddenly, you know, six months ago, if you said we're going to get £20 million for Emmy Martinez, you'd have been laughed at. This is a bonus. I've got a goalkeeper in mind in David Rare at Brentford, and I know he messed up in the playoff semi-final or final, can't remember which it was now. I think it was the final against Fulham when he sort of was too aggressive. When you see him play, he's a very modern front-footed goalkeeper that makes lots of saves very high up, plays like a sweeper. He's a very modern keeper that will look good in a good premiership side. The moment I saw him, I thought, you know what, there's a little rumour a few months ago about this. And I believed it straight away. As soon as I saw him play, I thought, you're different to what we have. And you could play in the Premier League. And so I knew, I had a feeling that one of them would go. I didn't know which one. Obviously, it looks like Martinez. So it's money. We need the money. We might get Raya for $8 million. If we get you know, $18 million for Martinez, that's $10 million quid we didn't we didn't expect. We can put that towards... The uh, overpriced Thomas Party deal, which, you know, he's a great player, but the value is questionable, right? But 
if you've got that cash in your pocket, you can actually do something with it. So I support the club on this one. My heart says I'd like Martinez to stay because we sort of know him and he's sort of been in the club since he was 16. But let's not forget how good Leno was before he got injured. And he played the other day and it's just, you know, I know it's only MK tons, but he looks like our, looks like our goalkeeper. So there isn't a problem there. We've got strength and we just need to use that money in the midfield area. And we really do need to use that money in that midfield area because... The team lacks an identity in that space and talent. Let's not forget we, talent. That that's a part of it. Yeah. <laughs> we we re, but if you wanna if you're the coach, you wanna move the team on, you've really got to put people in that space that define you. And the people we have there, they define us for all sometimes some of the things that we're not very good at. And so that's a really key next few weeks, months, and so it's important we have all the funds we need to go and get the overpriced players we need to go and buy to really change the identity of this team. We may have to spend the centre-backs we bought. We've got good value. We've got to get rid of a few, but we may have to overspend our midfield area. So all the money we get is going to be um, well used. Yeah, and, and I think the the cool thing is, <laughs> I sometimes feel with Arsenal transfer windows, you guys, that like there are so many holes to plug that... You know, the club puts their finger in one hole. You know, th- that's, God, that sounded so bad. <laughs> Thank God Paul isn't here to leap all over that. But you know how it is. You, you put your finger in one hole, and suddenly there's another hole that's a problem, is is a thing that I just said. Um, but, like, so normally, you know, we, we got the winger, but uh, we didn't solve defense. Like, I actually feel, for the first time in a while, you can just about cobble together a good back four or back five, and you can cobble together a good goalkeeper or two, and you can cobble together a good front line. All right, it may not be perfect, but a pretty good one. And the midfield is a train wreck, but, like, there's no ambiguity where the focus needs to be. And for Arsenal, I think that's a great thing. You know, it, it used to be the joke, right? Arsenal have no defenders, no you know, no defensive midfielder, but we're buying another number 10 or we're buying another winger. This summer, there's no ambiguity. Anything in midfield, creative midfield, central midfield, if you can find it, we need it. And so they can just focus on that. You know, chance creation, ball progression, press resistance, bring it on. We need it. And hopefully... They will find that. I mean, Clive, you, you had more to say? Well, I'm just thinking, I was going to ask you guys a question. I, mean, I love that. Do you think we, do you, how do you feel about Coutinho now? Do you think that's going to re- resurrect itself? Oh, I'd take it because... in a heartbeat. I, you know, I put a weird poll out on Twitter. I, I said, if assuming we only got one of these deals done, and Tim, I'll ask you which one you'd take. Assuming we only got one of these deals done, players we're linked with, and I realize some of the links are completely dubious, but, but just hear me out. Party, Coutinho, uh, Awar, Awar, and Party Coutinho, Awar, and Tiago. Who would be your choice? Um, it would be between Awar, Awar, and um, Tiago. Awar won in a landslide on Twitter, by the way. Yeah, yeah. See, that that's the thing. I, I don't watch enough French football to be that firm on it. I really, really like what I've seen. But what I've seen is about two games. It's enough. So it's enough to it, be an expert. If 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 that's his his level, then yeah, that that would be my choice. Um, a younger, fitter, a, a younger Thiago, or or not even a younger Thiago, a Thiago without the injury history would be my choice. Otherwise, but no, our our would be my choice because like there are many different ways to do cr- chance creation. 
Um, it doesn't have to be a number 10. In fact, most teams don't do that anymore. And, you know, at the very least, we've signed Willian this summer, who is a chance creator. Um, he just does it a slightly different way. He does it from wide, and that's fine. Um, and it's literally I, the I only way think, we create chances, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually think what Arsenal could really do, like Arsenal could do with both in an ideal world, don't get me wrong, yeah. but I think if Arsenal's midfield was just a bit more, there's a bit more oil in that engine, if the ball just moved a bit more, you know, a bit more quickly and a bit more freely and we had players who could play on the half turn and, and perhaps run with it a bit, I think that would do wonders. Can, can I interrupt midfield. again just super quick? Yeah, yeah go Even Ceballos leveling up at Project Restart to do that made yep. a world of difference. So imagine yep. someone who's even a and level up a creator. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's not a creator. It's funny, I had this conversation because you guys know that I've always been, uh, unlike Clive, like slightly dubious about the Diaby thing. I've always thought really inconsistent player and I think it's quite likely that's just who he was. But as I, like, someone put up a, a thing like, which of these players in their prime would you take in the current team? And it was like Arshavin, Rosicki, Nasri and Diaby, which which I think was a really interesting question, actually, because they're, they're all players with question marks. And I was thinking at it. I was thinking about it. And I was like, if you could guarantee me that he'd be fit, Diaby would walk into this midfield. It's That's him exactly or Rosicki. The, it's one of those two. Yeah, exactly like, what we need. Exactly. That is exa- like, and you look at the tragedy of Diaby's career is obviously injuries, but you know, do you ever think like a player's career happened at the wrong time as well? Um, you can in terms of what, what qualities were in the squad at that time, you mean? Yeah, yeah. That's or a, what qualities are... I know you guys are brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Or, or what qualities are in vogue at the time? Fair so point, someone yeah. like um, I think this about like Emil Heskey and Danny Welbeck, right? Emil Heskey. I think Emil Heskey was a brilliant player in the era of four four two when he was playing up front with Michael Owen, with Wayne Rooney, and he was doing all the dirty work. He was brilliant. But that was the era of four four two. He would not survive in the era of like four three three or four five one, where he would be the one playing through the middle. And then you look at someone like Danny Welbeck. Danny Welbeck in the era of four four two would have killed it. But he played in an era of lone strikers, and that's not who he was. And kind of a wide forward. So do you know what I was like? So DRB, DRB without the injuries and maybe ten years younger. If he was coming up now. Arsenal would not be signing him from Ozair for six million pounds, put it that way. Mm, yeah, I, I mean, it is it is the case, I think, that the thing that surprised me about the poll, Tim, is that the person who finished dead last by a distance was Coutinho. The only reason it surprised mm. me is like, I don't think people realize how bad we were getting goals, shots, chances, assists from midfield, and particularly advanced midfield. And someone who can drop in between the lines and play a final ball or take the shot on themselves would transform us. And it also would help take some pressure off the forward line because, there, you know, if you're a defender playing Arsenal, you can ignore the midfield. And in fact, you know what's ironic? You know who's a great avatar for what's wrong with us? Chelsea. Look at the Chelsea Cup final, okay? And and look at it because it's sexy and we love it. Um, <laughs> we were able to mostly ignore Jorginho and Kovacic in the final third which meant that we could really collapse on and focus on Giroud and, and their front line. And Pulisic gave us some trouble, which, you know, thankfully he went off. But, like, 
The same thing is true of Arsenal. You can really key on the forwards because there's no one to get between the lines and pull a defender up, force him to come out. Now, we used Lacazette a little bit that way, and we got some effectiveness with it, with defenders being pulled out of place by Lacazette and then guys running in behind. We saw that against City, and it worked. But against the smaller teams, it's too easy. It's too easy for them to stay in a line of four or five, keep their eye on the front three, keep their eye on the overlapping wingbacks, but they never have to pull out a position in the center of the pitch. When you have someone like De Bruyne, or God forbid, Silva and De Bruyne, who drop in between the lines and stand at the top of the box and make a central defender make a decision. And then suddenly there's a little darting run for an Aubameyang to get behind and someone who can play that dagger ball. That is missing. And, you know, I'm not saying it should be Coutinho, but if you put him in there, it totally changes the way defenses have to key on you and the way the central midfield can progress the ball. Um, And you could say, boy, it sounds a lot like you're describing Mesut Ozil. That's a dead conversation. So, you know, it just is what it is. Tim, I didn't give you a chance, and I want to get back to Clive, uh, but just super, super quick, since we moved on from it. Did you have a thought, Emmy Martinez? I assume you're a pretty pragmatic guy, so if it's 20 million pounds and we have to go with Leno, then you're not going to shed a tear. I mean, it, it, I love Martinez, yeah. love what he did for us, won us a cup, great end to his Arsenal career after sitting the bench for so long, but you take the 20 million and move on? Yeah, yeah, I think so. As long as it's 20 million, although that he's played 15 Premier League games mm. for Arsenal. So 20 million would be a really good return. My my view on the thing was always take the positives because um, if if you if the story had come out now that we're selling Bernd Leno and we're giving Emmy Martinez a new contract, I'd have been fine with that as well. My my attitude to this was always take I I don't really mind. I don't really have a horse um, in this race. Take, take the good one. And look, to be honest, it's just one of those things. There doesn't have to be any blame here. Emmy Martinez is 27. He is perfectly entitled to say, no, nope, I want to be a number one. And Arsenal are perfectly entitled to say, sorry, we've got another really good goalkeeper. We can't give you that at the moment. And, you know, it's it's fine for those two, like, it's fine for the club and the player to hold those positions. It, it absolutely makes sense. In an ideal world, we'd keep them both for another year, properly determine who's the best, and then sell one of them. But Martinez has got two years on his contract. It's not going to work out like that. He feels, um, I think, rightly that he's done enough to prove himself that he can play as a number one in the Premier League. And Arsenal are like, well, we've actually got another really good goalkeeper we've invested in. And... You know, so we're we're going to go with him, and and I and I think that's fine. Like there there isn't any fault here. I think um, in reality, one of them was always going to fall. We're not going to have Martinez and Leno on a long term basis. That's just not how it works. We didn't have Chesney and a Spinner on a long term basis. We didn't have a Spinner and Czech on a long term basis. If you have goalkeepers that managers believe in, um, then one of them just goes. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. So. Um, if this is the one that's going, that that's why I you know on, I wish him all the best. Um, I honestly I I don't think we're winning the Premier League with either of them. To be honest, huh, I, I think you if, don't if, think if they're we, good good enough at that level. Is it because distribution? No. I just don't think they're quite. They're not. They're not at like who won the Premier League, Alisson. They're not at that level. It's 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 kind of if I want to be really brutal about it, and I know I'll probably catch a little bit of um, criticism for that, and that's fine. But that that's as brutal as I can be. I I think they're both really good goalkeepers. I don't see either of them taking us to the absolute next level. I could I could see either one of them playing in like um you know if we finish fourth or whatever. I, I don't which is which is I guess still the next mm. level for us. But long game. 
five, six, seven years' time, when if all goes well, we'll be competing for the title again, um, he says, foolishly optimistically. I don't see either of them um, in that picture, to be honest, which is why I'm kind of comfortable with either one of them mm. going, because both because they're both good, but I don't think either of them are world class. You know what's funny, you guys? Like sometimes we see things totally the same way. And then sometimes I'm just stupid. So you know what's funny, Tim? You said something that is literally the exact opposite of how I feel, but we arrive at the same conclusion through reverse logic. So can I just quickly explain what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So you're saying you don't think either of them are good enough to win us the title, essentially. So you're fine with either of them moving on. My argument is I don't think goalkeeper matters enough, so I'm fine with them moving on. And what I mean by that is we finished top four with Manuel Almunia plenty of times. Chelsea just finished top four with the worst keeper in the Premier League. United finished top four with a David De Gea, who I think you have to say was comically terrible this season, and have finished outside the top four when David De Gea was the best goalkeeper in the Premier League. Um, I think what I'm driving at is essentially that if you told me we finished top four next season, I don't think it comes down to the player your keeper because realistically, if your keeper is extremely busy, you're probably pretty bad. The best teams don't concede a lot of shots. Now you can say, yeah, but your keeper is now a part of your buildup, and I agree with that. But I guess what I'm saying is, so if I don't think, if I think you can finish top four, which is our next goal, with a keeper who's not great, as Chelsea and United both proved, I certainly think you can finish top four with a backup keeper who sucks. Liverpool won the league with a terrible backup keeper, right? So, so yeah. I guess my point is the idea that you somehow not only need a good keeper, but you need two good keepers to get into the top four when two of the top four teams don't even have one good keeper doesn't make any sense to me when you can get 20 million pounds back. Tim, do you have a, do you have a, a, a rejoinder to that or, or no? No, 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 no. I, I think that's fine. I think what you need is a goalkeeper. Like if you're talking, if you're in the league winning conversation, you need the goalkeeper that can only do one thing in 90 minutes and have it make a difference. Yes. Okay. That's, yeah. I, I agree with that. That's the difference yes. you're looking mm -hmm. at. Yeah yeah. 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 Okay. So, and, and sorry, I, I guess what I was trying to say is I agree with you on that point. It's just, I arrive at the conclusion that we can sell because I don't think we need them to be good. And you arrive at the conclusion we could sell because you don't think either of them are so good. We can't afford to let them go. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Clive, welcome back. Um, let's do this. Well, <laughs> Arteta added two coaches to the coaching staff. It's important and we should discuss it, although I doubt there are many people like chomping at the bit waiting for this segment of the pod and we still have to touch on the community shield. But let's just get out of the way and, and you're the, the coach of the pod, so I think you're the perfect person to address this. Um, Arteta getting his people in. He's added two coaches. Um, you know, we know we moved one out in Nuremberg. Uh, how do you feel about the fact that Arteta is not just trying to pull the, the playing staff together, but he's getting ready to start the new season, you know, with his with his coaching staff in place. Yeah, it's expected, isn't it? We, I, I expected more, actually. I thought there may be a, a Shambi Alonso coming along as well, a, a name person. So, um, yeah, I don't know these coaches at all, but um, he hastily had to put together his coaching staff in um, December. And, you know, maybe I thought that I wasn't sure they'd be here for the long term. But they seemed to be here. Steve Round and the other guys seemed to be here. So... Goalkeeping coach came in. He's very, very um, well thought of. And so, yeah, he's building on it. And it'd be interesting. I tried to have a little look today to see what they're like. I couldn't find anything on the time I had to see what their reputations are. But no doubt that will come out in the next day or so. But yeah, like anything, you want to build your backroom. You want to build your team. You want to build people around you that you know 
that well in the market. Again, they're quite. We're, the club is becoming younger in the back room. Yeah, and so this is what I expect to see happen. We are rebuilding totally, total renewal of the club. Of all aspects, is really happening. And I think it's good. Like, there's not much more you can really say about that. I'm much more interested in the midfield discussion you were having earlier on <laughs> right, rather than talking about this because this is just uh, what we expect to see. And I think there'll be one more person coming. I don't think it Well, I don't think it'll be Burkham. If it is Burkham, it'll be, I think he'll be doing a job with the youth players. But I do think there may be somebody else coming um, to maybe someone with a name that we would all recognise to sort of uh, come back into the club. But we'll wait and see. We'll mm. wait and see. So then I'll, I'll stay with you, Clive. Uh, Tim, do you have a burning desire to speak on the addition of the assistant coaches? Oh, he, he, Tim said he needed 30 seconds, so he definitely doesn't have that desire. He has the burning desire to change a poopy diaper uh, or nappy. Sorry. Um, Clive, in a way, I think they should have cancelled the Community Shield. I think... Fans like players need breaks between seasons to make them feel like new stories, and it doesn't feel like a new story yet. And that doesn't mean I'm not excited for it. I just, I like the feeling that I've gotten to miss football so I can be thrilled for it to come back and feel like it's all fresh and new again and have that new excitement. And in a way, it still feels like the same story, which makes it hard to feel like it's fresh and new. And, and, and I, I can be stupidly optimistic for no reason. But on the flip side, not only is this, you know, a charity event and we do want that money to go to charity, but like this is our second and final preseason fixture. Ordinarily, I would say completely throw this game. It does not matter. And and I still feel that way. But given that it is the only the only other game Arteta has to get his players ready for the season, I mean, I think this game will not charity shields have have the I have always found they have a first half that's quite intense and looks like a competitive fixture, and then obviously the the starters get taken out early with the season impending, and 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 it sort of sputters out to more of a preseason type feel. I think this one will probably feel a little more preseason ish, both in lineup and approach for the full ninety. How do you feel about it? Yeah, it has to. With this, these are these games important minutes. Uh, Liverpool have been away in Austria, I believe, and there were a couple of friendlies out there, and. They've been playing quite strong teams, and I think they've got a strong team expected for the game on Saturday. So, yeah, we have to take it, not say seriously, but, you know, every every minute you have on the pitch is important for preparation. And it's important for your position in the dressing room, you know, particularly for the young players who are fighting for minutes. I never dismissed football matches. I watched the MK Don's game, I watched it, and I enjoyed it. You know, a couple of players there that I hadn't seen before, and... I'd not seen Ben Cottrell before when I heard about him, but I'd not seen him over a period of time, and he looks really interesting. I thought Maitland-Niles looked pretty interesting. For somebody out the door, I thought he was trying really hard and looked much more composed and looked much more like a, a player that feels like he belongs in the team. And, I'm, and So when you have these games, I never dismiss preseason games. I've heard it from before. I normally go to them, you know, because I think you can really see people more clearly in a more relaxed environment. You get to see their technique. You get to see their shape. You just see and hear things in a slightly different way without the tension. And you can absorb it in a different way. And I, I always I always go to the, the Emirates Cup, for example. I never miss it. Uh, I think you can learn a lot. You know, you learn a lot from these games. And, and so, yeah, this is another game which we'll learn a lot from. You work out who are the pillars of your team. Are. You work out who, who can play at half fitness and still look good. You work out who needs more time. You work out the slow starters. It isn't a normal preseason because obviously they only stopped playing about three, feels like about a month ago, no more than that. 
So there's a level of fitness there. We've gone back to the back three, which I think is going to be around a lot longer than what people realise. It just makes sense for us, given the fact we've got no midfield. It just makes sense. And we have attacking midfields that can roll into midfield. So I just think we, we're settling down. The next phase of Arsenal isn't here yet. The phase you want to see, Elliot, around playing through the lines and having those number eights, it isn't here yet because I still don't feel we've got the back four defenders that we need yet assimilated. But it's getting closer. It's getting closer. I think that's going to be an interesting thing. I hope we get the chance to see some of that in the preseason. But again, we don't know the health of some of our defenders to actually know what we're going to actually do. So I'll see a back three and I see this game has been really important to us being preparing for the first league game. So, yeah, that's my view. Mm. I mean, it is, it's tough, right? Because like, you want to measure yourself in games against big competition, but this competition is meaningless. I, Tim, I mean, it is it is a preseason fixture. It always has been. I think it's even more so this season. Why don't you give me sort of your take on how you think Arteta will approach it and I guess how, how you would approach it and whether you think Arteta will agree. So I, I think the only... So preseason games, right? Um Really, really, really valuable for coaches, um, not so much for fans, um, you know, in, unless you're really interested or invested in the the kind of um, the mechanics and, and everything like that, as Clive described. Um, essentially, like the results aren't important, but for coaches, both the fitness and the tactical element are, are very, very important. I, I think what makes this game slightly more interesting, I have to say, like personally, I keep forgetting this game's even happening. It's it's just so surreal having a, a community shield, you know, three weeks after the FA Cup final. Um yeah. obviously that's that's the situation and and were it not for the community aspect of it, because it's no longer called the charity shield and it's no longer called the charity shield for legal reasons, I must tell you. Hmm. Um but the, the the community aspect of it, were it not for that it's one of those that you just go well, like, why are they even doing this this year? Um, you know, you know, like how the international break in September and slowly players are either pulling out or are, are testing positive for COVID because they've just been on holiday and, and you just think, oh, th this is just no point in doing this, um, particularly behind closed doors. But I, I think what makes this slightly more interesting is, I mean, obviously it's a unique challenge to manage the fitness of a bunch of players who are only playing three weeks ago and have been in training for like a couple of days. And actually the, the season is a fortnight away. So it's not quite, usually the Community Shield is a week before. This is two weeks before because of internationals. So most of the players will play this, then they'll go away with their international team. So th this is like, this is almost like the last training session um, for a lot of them because a lot of them will go away with their countries after this but but the other thing that makes this game slightly more interesting is that we play Liverpool um in a month's time we play them on the 28th of September at Anfield uh, behind closed doors as well um and and you know maybe that's a chance to to I guess test some things out to maybe get the get the get the impression because towards the end of last season it kind of looked like Liverpool weren't at the level, weren't anywhere near the level they'd been 
earlier mm. in the season and and you might argue well of course they're not because they'd already won the league and they knew that when they came back so of course they were never going to come back you know firing on all cylinders but I, I've got I've I've just got the sense as much as I had the sense last summer that Liverpool were going to win the league I just had this really strong feeling I thought no I think they're going to have the same season again um, I, like I just think that their team is just so tuned into one another and unless they get some big injuries I always thought they'd win it this summer I've just got the feeling that Liverpool aren't quite going to be at the level this year they're still going to be um, an immense team that will challenge for the title and will probably get more you know probably get 80 points at least but I don't think they're going to be pushing that 100 point mark and I think a lot of that is just because the natural cycle of the team is coming a bit closer to its end there's lots of 29 year olds pushing 30 and that's very different to when you have uh 27 28 year olds and and i think we saw a bit of a chink in their armor basically at the end of last season and what'll be really interesting is whether liverpool can pick that intensity back up again especially now they've won the league like we've all seen that challenge before and i've, I've seen it with arsenal where you win the league you drop your level just one percent the next season and that makes a huge difference. And I've got a real feeling Liverpool are going to do that. So I wonder whether Arteta will look at this game as a chance to test their mettle with a view to that game at Anfield on September the 28th. And it's definitely going to be behind closed doors. And that, like, don't get me wrong, we are still massive underdogs for that game. But that that is a huge boon for us to be able to play that game behind closed doors, given the way Liverpool play you know, rely, like they draw on the crowd so much. So I I wonder if, obviously this is the primary objective of this exercise as a tune-up ahead of Fulham and ahead of the new season. But I just wonder if Arteta might think, if we can beat them here, then we'll have beat them in July and August and then we get to play them again in September behind closed doors. And whether that just gives us at least a chance to see Liverpool and just a chance to perhaps build some belief ahead of that game at Anfield. Mm, you know, I think another thing that would help build belief, personally, sign some midfielders! For God's sakes. Been, we've been recording 48 minutes, haven't bought a single midfielder. Um, you know what, guys? Normally we go longer. I think that'll do it because, first of all, this is going to be out by like the middle of the night, UK time Friday, and... Uh, we got a game tomorrow, and then we'll have to do an instant reaction pod, and it all kicks off from there over on the Patreon side. But uh, there is more, because I spoke to Mike from the Gooners pod about cancer, and specifically about their wonderful Gooners versus Cancer charity drive that they do. Uh, it is an official charity. It is uh, a charity where they're giving things away. They're giving away PlayStations. They're giving away um, drinks with Perry Groves, when that's actually a thing we're allowed to do. Uh, I mean, seriously, there's... There's a lot of good stuff they're giving away as part of the charity drive, but they want to raise some money to fight cancer. And I, I mean, right now we are obviously confronting a global pandemic and rightly our attention is on that. Uh, but as a result, it sometimes takes the focus off of other causes and causes that we know are very serious, very important and, and will need our attention again. So no time like the present. And uh, we know we have a very um, philanthropic and charitable community following the pod. So certainly stay tuned because Mike is going to tell you a little bit about that. We'll have a few laughs and talk uh, Gunners versus Cancer. And, uh, you know, then we'll come back tomorrow and have our Patreon Instant Reaction Pod about the uh, very important, serious game if we win it and the totally meaningless preseason game if we lose it. Tim's on Twitter. Still better. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive.
Thank you very much. So much more podcasting and content. We're doing stuff with uh, Scott's going to be doing some written stuff, some data work that we will have rolled out. Oh, gosh, there's lots of good stuff. Not enough time to talk about it right now, though, because we got to talk to Mike. So stay with us. Uh, we'll come back with Mike and talk Gooners versus Cancer after this. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> segment that actually matters so i hope you pay attention to that and here with me from the gooners pod is uh mike you can find him on twitter at the gooners pod the gooners podcast is a fantastic arsenal related podcast and since there aren't many of them uh you should definitely listen to it mike good to talk to you thank you ellie good to be back with you and yeah i mean we're we're definitely uh you know there's no oversaturation of the podcast space so you know we're thinking about doing five different podcasts now because there's just not enough yeah it's not enough it's just you, me, and this other guy that I keep hearing about, uh, something, blog, and, and that's it. Yeah, never so, heard of him. I, I would say this. I think more. if we run out of room on the internet, it will be because of Arsenal podcasts. But <laughs> that's beside the point. Look, uh, you could say that giving our time, our money, our love, our hope, and our expectations to Arsenal Football Club is philanthropic in and of itself. Uh, oh, but absolutely. we are also interested in actual philanthropy. And, and one of the things, as we sort of move away from the joking side of this, that I've been thinking a lot about as we face this, this COVID-19 pandemic, obviously all of the resources of our medical communities and all of the contributions uh, from people who, who are philanthropically inclined and all of the focus and media attention is quite rightly going to fighting this pandemic. But the, the scary side of that is that these diseases that we may have been making progress in fighting that are so important to fight, and the one we're talking about is cancer today, um, maybe will there will be a loss of momentum for these movements because of the focus moving. And also, I think there are going to be a lot of people who put off getting their regular testing because they don't want to go to a medical facility or because medical facilities aren't even doing sort of elective um, exploratory procedures at, at a certain time. And as a result, their cancer may, may be detected later uh, when it's too late to treat. And so I, I worry... That unfortunately we are going to see a, a, a sort of bleak resurgence, not that this disease ever went anywhere, but in, in terms of the problems we have with it and, and the need to really fight against it. So you have a great charity, uh, Gooners versus Cancer, and I'd love to hear a little bit about it, about uh, your mission, why it's important to you, and then certainly, most importantly, how we can support it. Well, great. I, I appreciate that. And Elliot, you're, you're right. I mean, you know, things happen in the world. Uh, pandemics happen. Uh, 9-11s happen. Um, you know, a lot happens and, and suddenly social justice movements. And it can be very hard to uh, to say, hey, but what about this? What about that? And there are so many good causes. My only hope is that, you know, and I've experienced this with, with the Gooner family especially, is that, you know, there's enough charitableness and enough care and enough love to go around. And so with that, we, we started our third rendition of Gooners versus Cancer just about a week or two ago. And, you know, what started Gooners versus Cancer, I mean, my father, obviously, there's a family connection to it. My father, unfortunately, passed away from leukemia after fighting it for lost. about three years. Uh, it was about 10 years ago, way too early. And, um, you know, just seeing what he went through is it just it's always been a cause that's near and dear to my heart. And once Andy and I started doing the podcast, getting to know some people, making some good connections, it occurred to us that we really had, you know, even a, just a very small platform to try to raise awareness and we ought to use it for something good instead of just making, you know, 
jokes about body parts all the time. So both are worthy. We still yeah. mm-hmm. we still do that, yeah. and and we you know we raise money every time we do that. But um, but yeah, so Gunners versus Cancer is linked directly to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Um, and when you donate to Gunners versus Cancer, you are donating directly to a registered 501c3 charity, which I, I don't know if that is applicable to people across the pond or anywhere else, but in the U.S. it's a it's a registered charity where donations are tax deductible, which helps you financially, and, and of course you're still doing it for a good cause. And what we tried to do is not just say, hey, you know, let's do a GoFundMe or let's raise funds, please just give money out of the goodness of your heart. We're trying to combine kind of the the attitude of our podcast, of our club, of just trying to have fun and 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 provide value and do good things while raising money. So every year that we've been doing this, we do it with fundraising in ways that are meant to be fun, rewarding. And, and for instance, last year, Arsenal came on tour to the U.S., went to four cities over 10 days, and we had the, the pleasure of doing a ton of in-person fundraising. We gave away Arsenal retro shirts signed by legends like Alan Smith, Kevin Campbell. We we gave away game tickets that had been donated to us by season ticket holders, uh, a lot of other merchandise, and it just really was kind of a way of of saying, you know what, we'll we'll give five dollars, ten dollars, twenty. Some people gave fifty or more, um, and we have a chance to get some really cool stuff. And this year, I'm just overwhelmed with the generosity of ex Arsenal players of the club themselves of people that we know and, and, and have valuable things to send off and people who like yourself are, are willing to, to give the, the cause a bit of a push uh, through their platforms as well. And so it's, it's our third year running last year. We raised about $16,000 wow. from about uh, a month or so of fundraising That's great. this year, you know, with all the challenges that you've mentioned and very, very good alternatives for people's charitable dollars, I feel like it's going to be hard to match that, but we have so many good items, so many good things going on that we very well may be able to do it. And, and you know, w- with your help uh, and the help of others, I think it's it's accomplishable. Well, uh, what is the best way to find the the charity and give to the charity? Well, there's there's a couple things uh, going on. First of all, our website is Gooners versus Cancer, and that will take you directly it, to. Is it versus or vs? Good good point. It's Gooners vs cancer.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will take you, I know, I, I believe, and, and I did this last year, I actually also reserved Gunnar's V cancer. So, so uh, for the Arsenal V podcast and for anybody over the, uh, across I'm, the I'm podcast, using that URL. Screw it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Gunnar's V cancer, Gunnar's versus cancer. Um, and, uh, and, and it'll take you to the donation page, a little bit of description of the background of the program. One thing I do want to quickly mention is uh, and this is time sensitive. We are running a uh, a PS4, PlayStation 4, and an Xbox version of a FIFA Champions League. Uh, we're going to have anywhere from 32 to 48 teams. Uh, I'm sorry, anywhere from 32 to 64 teams in each one. And the entry fee to be part of it is $20 or the international equivalent of that. And you get entered into a tournament. You're going to be playing at least six group league games against other teams. You make it to the final, you're going to get a great prize, including the next year's version of FIFA. And everybody that enters, regardless of whether they are awful or they win the whole thing, is entered in a grand prize drawing to win a first-team signed jersey that Arsenal has generally don- uh, generously donated. So 
that's going on and, and registrations for that are going to end uh, on Friday. So, uh, so get into that now and, and you can go to the Gooners pod on Twitter and get the links for that. Um, and I, and I'll give them to, uh, to you as well in case you want to push that out. But there's, yeah, we absolutely there's, a, will. there's a link to sign up for the PS4 and a link to sign up for the Xbox. And then starting in, in, uh, in September, we'll have our raffle, which is where all these great prizes and tickets and experiences. I mean, Perry Groves has agreed to not only sponsor someone coming to do one of his Legends tours, but then go out for beers with him afterwards. Uh, so <laughs> that's, that's awesome. the type of thing that you, you know, that you could see. It's not just stuff, it's experiences as well. And you're all helping a very, very good cause. Oh, that's, that's great. And so you got to go there, Gunners V Cancer. But you could use Gunners VS Cancer, but definitely go regardless and, and maybe get in for the, we, the FIFA tournament. Yeah. When you use Gunners V Cancer, you, uh, you, you know, Elliot gets a dollar uh, yeah. Yeah. As, as a commission. And, and uh, yeah, we think he's going to donate it. But, Th- but there's no. nothing I like more than the insinuation that I'm profiting off uh, of the attempt <laughs> to promote a, a cancer charity. So thank you for that, my friend. I appreciate it. No, no, no problem. I mean, I, you know, it'll only follow you around for a year or two. I'm yeah. sure it'll be fun. Yeah, no, look, I guarantee you that is not the case. What I will tell you is, um, you know, my, my grandfather died of cancer, skin cancer of all things, a cancer you're not supposed to die from. But just a reminder that, you know, people not getting their testing done, not doing their screenings, delaying doctor's visits, you know, is, is really a challenge. And, and there's going to be a lot of people that need the help. We we actually contribute to a charity called the Angel Foundation um, here in Minnesota that, you know, helps people with things like rent and daycare and stuff like that as they're dealing with their chemo treatments and radiation treatments and, and, and whatever the case may be because cancer takes an economic toll as well. And they already sent out the notice that the, the gala event they do in January, that's their, their primary form of, of fundraising is canceled because they don't believe they'll be able to have you know, hundreds of people in a room together and the impact that's going to have on their ability to raise money will be massive. So I just think it's a reminder that while our attention is rightfully on the pandemic and, and not to take any of the focus off the seriousness of that, um, you know, there are a lot of health conditions that are very important. Cancer touches almost everybody's life in some way. And this is an opportunity to to keep it keep it in focus while we can, uh, you know, as much as we Absolutely. hate to do that and, and give money. So, Mike, I really appreciate it. Again, Gooners versus Cancer. GoonersVSCancer.com or GoonersVCancer.com, um, you know, and give, sign up for the FIFA tournament. Lots of good stuff going on there. Uh, obviously, the community around this podcast was instrumental in us hitting our giving goal to the Arsenal Foundation. And uh, so we know that the charitable spirit is robust. And uh, we ask you to, to you know, sort of re- re- reach into that wellspring of, of, philanthropy and, and consideration again so mike uh, mike's on twitter at the gunners pod his podcast the gunners podcast is one you, you definitely want to catch if you like body humor uh with the occasional arsenal reference as well so thank you so much mike thank you Elliot. appreciate it take care absolutely my pleasure okay so that's going to do it I, I hope you will go and you will give and uh you know we'll be mentioning the the charity a few more times down the line but i'm so glad mike was able to come on and and give us the rundown on it so uh well that'll do it for now but don't worry we got more we got more coming up we'll talk to you after arsenal 10 liverpool nil no. 